Hey Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, cool people and real conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Spacewatch.global. We are reporting about China and their space development as good as we can. Our primary source for that is Blaine Curcio, who I had the great pleasure to talk to. Blaine is the China Space Guy, founder of Orbital Gateway Consulting, senior affiliate consultant at Euroconsult, and the co-host of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace News Roundup, what we have the pleasure to republish. Blaine, what have been your personal space highlight in the last 12 months? Well, Torsten, first, thank you for the invite. It's good to catch up and uh, happy new year. Happy holidays. My personal space highlights from the last 12 months, I think the continued acceleration of low Earth orbit constellations in the West, it obviously gets a lot of media attention, but also in China, we've seen some pretty significant moves made in the Chinese context related to their kind of wanting to have their own version of Starlink or even of OneWeb and also just having their own, uh, let's say, piece of, of the real estate in low Earth orbit, which is increasingly becoming kind of hotly contested and a little bit politicized. And so I guess specifically looking at events in 2021 related to this, I mean, we saw in April of 2021, the creation of China satellite networks, which is basically the operating company for this constellation. And we've seen a number of different cities and provinces supporting this with um, different incentives and trying to bring in commercial companies. Yeah, I think that would be one of the big highlights of 2021 was this kind of global low Earth orbit broadband constellations continuing to accelerate. And I think China in particular. And then probably the other thing I think would be launch. Launch is a big highlight, again, globally, but then especially in China, or at least in my world, it's always a little bit hard to tell whether there's just so much more going on in China or whether I'm just following so much more stuff going, you know, in China. But I think in the US, you had Rocket Lab, Astra, Who else? Rocket Lab, Astra, and a couple of other companies that would have spacked, if not in the last 12 months, like certainly in the last 18 months. And they're all you know, multiple billion dollar valuations. I think ISAR in, in Germany raised quite a lot of money. I think launch is another big trend from 2021 to be a little bit more specific commercial launch. But even in the Chinese context, there's also the state doing a lot of launches. I think on that note, it's worth to mention that you guys brought out your special Dongfang Hour episode about your top eight from China. I think that's absolute worth to watch and it's fantastic. I say that with all the credits, you have done a fantastic work in covering China and we are so glad to have rights to republish all of your contents. It's a great job, so keep on doing. But I just want to also emphasize that here that for our audience that they should have a look on the top eight China. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the plug. Thank you. And I guess just the, the third trend, maybe to round out the these first kind of big mm -hmm. topics, I th is the increasing popularity of space in, in kind of the popular culture. And I think this is a continuation from 2020 and, and really for the last several years. But um, I think we've really seen it, if not continue to accelerate. We've seen m maybe increase in growth has gone from 50% to 40% or something from 20%, but it's still a lot of growth and it could have accelerated. We don't know. We've started to see in the Chinese context specifically, some of these very big missions like the Chinese space station where the Taikonauts on board have been quite visible. And you've seen the often mentioned science lecture that was given quite recently that was kind of a follow-on from one given quite a number of years ago by by the same Taikonaut, I think Wang Yaping, if I'm not wrong, and, and other kind of big missions, Tianwan, the Mars mission, and so on. I think this space becoming more broadly popular in 2021 has continued to, to be a topic that's been, you know, good good for all of us, I suppose, and also interesting to watch. Yeah, well, I also think that's great to see how China opens their communication about what's going in in space, at least in Chinese language. That was very secretive, and I think that's broadened now a bit. And mm. 
Sticking on, on China, I mean, it's your specific work, but you guys do in a fantastic way to educate all of us. What touched you most out of this really wealth of events that happened out of China or in the space market? Is there something what touched you most? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. That's an insightful question. I think it's been touching and inspirational to see the continued sort of good sportsmanship, for lack of a better term, between different commercial companies. So it, over the last year, we've seen some, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, let's say, advancements in the sector, but we've also seen some launch failures. We've seen some projects that seemingly have not uh, really panned out very well. And you've seen a lot of industry support when those things have tended to happen. So whenever you go on WeChat after a, a launch failure, you'll see a lot of people working for other companies, oftentimes other launch companies that are posting saying, oh, you know, space is hard and, and we feel for you guys and we know you'll be back on the launch pad soon, et cetera. So I think that continues to be really cool to see. And I think there's still, when you look at the way that companies in the sector compete with each other and the speed at which they innovate, and there's clearly a lot of competition in China, but I, I do think that we're at a phase where it's still, it's so high growth and is also so regulatorily uncertain that there's still a high degree of kind of having personal connections, even with your competitors and trying to to make sure that no matter what happens from a kind of uncertain regulatory environment perspective or from an uncertain macroeconomic perspective, your company has the best chance of surviving it. And so I guess just one, one example to be a little bit more uh, specific, you see these different launch manufacturing companies that are buying engines from other commercial companies. And there's presumably some kind of collaboration going on here with technology transfer or with just some collaborating with someone who's a competitor in a certain sense. This is something I guess that the macro point is good sportsmanship in the Chinese space sector. It's quite touching. Yeah. Interesting. You spoke about failure in launch failures. How is that culturally perceived in, in China? Is that a really big fail or is it can happen, mm. clean your mouth, keep on going? What is the atti yeah. attitude? I don't know if it's a specifically Chinese way of perceiving it, but I think the way that the Chinese space sector reacts to failure is they're, they're more accepting of risk, for example, certainly European commercial space companies and probably a lot of American ones. And I think part of the reason is there's just more launches, for example. So if you're a company and you're launching, a, you know, one, you, you know, just from, from day one, your business model is incorporating this idea that you're going to have, let's say you, you start a company in 2019, you're going to have a couple dozen launches in 2019 in China, and not all of them are going to have launch capacity, but some of them will. And then you'll have a you know a few dozen more in 2020 and, and growing from there, you're going to have a lot of chances to send small satellites into space that could fail, that you could test some different technology on, that you can tinker and, and iterate and try to make a better product next time, this kind of thing. And so just from day one, you have a companies working on faster timelines because they know that they can fail, I think, a little bit more than if you have a very limited number of launch launches, let's say. And the example that I often give is I was talking to a, a European company that was trying to find a, a slot to orbit for one of their components to, to go onto a, a small satellite. And so they were looking around Europe and they were being told maybe 18 or, or 24 or, or 36 months. Now, granted, this was a few years ago, but still. And in China, they were being told at the time, like six months or, or less, something like that. So really just very different pace of innovation, which I think allows companies to be a bit more open to failure and a bit more willing to fail. Now, I, I think with launch companies specifically, you see there are so many launch companies now, and I don't know to what extent we're at the point yet of a company getting kind of reaching escape velocity, let's say, in there you start to launch more and then you get 
better economies of scale and so you can invest more into better technology. And I suspect it's increasingly hard for Western companies that are starting up today to compete with SpaceX. I think we're still quite far from that in China, but eventually we get to that point. And so each individual failure, I think it given how many competitors there are, it's a big setback. If you're, you know, one of the leading eight commercial launch companies and you know, your thing for this year is we got to make this one launch and that launch fails, that's not a good year, let's see. But yeah, I, I think it, it's fascinating to watch. Interesting observation. It sounds that China's year in space was pretty perfect, but was there something specific where you would say the space industry does need still? or does need most? There's a lot to say here. So let me just give a, a minute to, to think about that. I guess the first point I would say is perfect is it's a nice it's a nice word to use. I think from a very kind of high level, all the major milestones that they wanted to hit and all of the major programs that they needed to keep moving along, those all pretty much went off without a hitch. But I do think that there were certain aspects of, of the sector that moved a bit more slowly than we would have liked in 2021. But it was a very good year. I think that's fair. Give me one second to, to think about this. We, we can play some... Elevator yeah. music, if you want. Yeah. Um, hmm. So the original question is, what what does the space industry need most? Okay. It's, it's not an exam, so there's no right and wrong here. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> so what do they need most? I, I think there's a couple of things. So I think first, it's been one of the issues in 2021, and I think it's going to be a challenge moving forward, is just the extent to which space is becoming really a very politically hot button issue. We saw in 2021, there was FOBS test, so the, the fractional orbital bombardment system just a couple months ago that was quite controversial. There were the couple of Starlink satellites that the Chinese space station had to avoid uh, a couple of months ago as well. And then we saw earlier in the year, there was another controversial, oh, there was the arm on the Chinese space station. And we had Nelson was coming out and saying that was problematic. These different things that are being done in space by both China and the US, I think that there's this real risk of just a very bipolar zero-sum game you're either with us or you're with them i i'm optimistic about things like countries like like france or or germany or or others that would have potential to take part in let's say both artemis and ilrs now i know that neither country has has yet committed to doing that nor have they indicated any plans to do so but i think in a very long term you could imagine there, there are there is collaboration between those countries and china on other missions on, on the Chang'e missions or on others one of the things that the china does need to be wary of is just this space is becoming really hot button issue and and also just china us is a hot button issue brazil raised interest in both signed the, the artemis accord and raised their interest in working with the chinese and the russians if i'm not i mistaken. believe that yeah because i think brazil and china they've had sea bears satellites go all the way back to the 80s they've been doing pretty big projects for a long time together but then i think other things that that china does need in terms of just the, the broader sector I think at the moment you look at, at Starlink and SpaceX and, and that whole industrial base that is coordinating, when you think about all the different suppliers that you need to have a, a rocket as big as the Falcon 9 or the Falcon Heavy launching dozens of times per year and having more than 1,000 satellites per year being launched. And, and in Europe, you're really, I think, starting to see stirrings of big projects like this also. And I think Europe has already a pretty well-established and well-organized industrial base in space. I think that there's a lot of, of very strong companies there. And I think in China, when you look at what they're trying to do and the magnitude of some of these projects, I think you're going to need a lot of innovation that is maybe not the system that China's space sector is currently in is maybe not the best suited for. for the, the example I always give is that Elon Musk, the way that he really has, has come to prominence in the US, at least initially, is 
talking about how the rockets that are being made by NASA or being made for NASA by, by ULA or by, by whomever, those rockets are very reliable, they're good, they get the job done, but they're also quite expensive and, and I could build a, a better rocket or at least a cheaper rocket or a more efficient rocket. And implicit in that statement is that the incumbents in the U.S. that were serving NASA and, and others were doing a, a less good job than Elon Musk could do. And you just, you can't have that in China, really. I mean, you, it's inconceivable that you'd have an entrepreneur come and say that Cask is, is really incompetent and that their long march rockets are, are not very you know cost effective and I'm going to build a better one. And so I think there's certain aspects where it's, it's hard to square that circle, let's say. Getting back to one of the earlier points I mentioned about the establishment of, of China Satnet, creating this company that's pretty independent and at a pretty high level of this the state-owned industry, uh, the state-owned enterprise hierarchy, that kind of gets around that by having a very centralized sort of group that's able to make these decisions. I think ultimately that's going to be something that they need to work on is coordinating just this huge number of different companies and this huge number of different governments and provinces and commercial companies and universities and having them do these really big projects that are being headed by big state-owned companies that have done really cool things before, but this is not really something they do historically. I think it's going to be very hard. I know that was a rambling answer, but I think just this idea of China sees the things that SpaceX and Starlink is doing. They say, you know, we paraphrasing here, like we want to do that too for strategic or for economic or whatever other reasons. That's not particularly easy, I don't think, in the optimal circumstances, much less in suboptimal ones. So, yeah. Let me challenge you with another set of questions. So, what made you, Blaine Curcio, space happy or space mad, space angry last year? So space angry, I think, and, and this is something that I probably, I use this too much as a talking point, but the somewhat recklessness way that certain companies and most notably Starlink have just launched a very large number of, of satellites into orbit. And also just a way that we've seen that problem framed in certain contexts. For example, I got a little bit space angry about a week and a half ago when I was reading I think it was the FT where Elon Musk was saying that you could have tens of billions of satellites in, in low Earth orbit and not have any risk of collision. E even if that is correct in, in some very specific context where you say if you had th this amount of, of space traffic management resources being deployed, whatever, but it, it still is just not a very helpful way of contextualizing it unless you are the one launching thousands of satellites. And I, if you're that person, then good on you. But that's been sometimes frustrating thing to watch. This just land grab phase and just this launching lots and lots of things without a whole lot of regard for what the long-term implications of that could be. Give me something what makes you happy. I can't, there must be something at least what makes oh, yeah, you no, definitely. I think last year. Yeah, I think definitely the uh, the launches from Hainan are really cool to watch. You have this beach and you have the launch site, which is out on kind of a peninsula or something. And then you have a Hilton hotel in the foreground, and that's a few miles from the launch site. You presumably have some very well-connected officials that can watch these launches from their balconies. Lately, they become, and lately being the last couple of years, they've become really pop culture phenomenon. So you've had hundreds or, or sometimes thousands of people going down to Hainan, to this tropical island off the coast of China, and um, going to these launches and watching the, usually it's the Long March 5 or it's the Long March 7, you know, the big rockets. You've had like the, the Xi'an Symphony Orchestra was there. I think it was this year during one of the Tianhe launch, maybe. And they were all in their tuxedos playing Symphony Orchestra on the beach as the launch was going in the background. So yeah, I think things like that are, are pretty cool. Definitely pretty, there? pretty fun to watch. Have you been there? Already? I've been to Hainan. I have not been to the launch site there. I've not been to any of the launch sites that's on my list for 2022, hoping the borders reopen is uh, to go back to mainland China. 
What to watch out of these huge developments in China you mentioned earlier, but what specifically to watch out for this year? I would say watching out for the deployment of their Leo broadband constellation. Getting back to Starlink is at more than 1,500 satellites now, and they, they've slowed down their launch cadence a little bit, but they're still doing, what, minimum like a couple hundred satellites per quarter, I guess. So if you're China, I, I presume you want to at least start launching some stuff up there relatively soon. And we've seen a lot of different companies in China that are manufacturing small communication satellites that have been saying, oh, our factory's reaching this or that level of maturity, or we've completed the this or that review phase of a payload for a communication satellite that's going to be launched. I think it'll be interesting to watch for the deployment of China's low Earth orbit comms constellation. And then I guess the, the other thing that I would highlight for 2022 is the completion of, of the Chinese space station. So you have the two lab modules, Mengtian and, and Wentian, being sent up there in probably Q2 and Q3, I think, of this year. And so that will be fascinating to watch. That gives them a bit more real estate in the in the very precious real estate of low Earth orbit. So... Yeah. When do we will see the first non-Chinese on the Chinese space station? Will we see them next year already? Or do you think a few more years to go? I think next year, like 2023, is is possible. Okay. I'd be pretty surprised if we saw a non-Chinese astronaut go to the Chinese space station in, in 2022. I'd be, I would, yeah, I'd be pretty damn surprised. But 2023, I would say, is is maybe... I don't know. If I were an odds maker, I would say it could be as high as like a 40% chance in 2023 of that being the year. Maybe a 5% or less chance of this year. And then, you know. Quite true. We'll ask you next year again. Sounds good. <laughs> so my last question is, is there any space personality for you in 2021? But, but, but there's a few that come to mind. Pierre Lyonnet is, is very good. It's a little bit cliche, I feel like, especially around the holidays. I feel like he got a lot of, of attention on, on Twitter. But uh, P, I think Pierre Lyonnet is the way that you'd pronounce his name. But he's a French space economist. He publishes a lot of, of very, let's call them no-holds-barred assessments of these SPACs and a lot of these commercial space companies. And he looks at the financials in there. They're really very well-researched Twitter threads of maybe 10 to 20 tweets and then reports. I mean, he publishes more in-depth stuff. But yeah, a really interesting Twitter follow. I get a lot of thought-provoking questions because a lot of the time in the space sector, for better or worse, you read space industry media or you read certainly in company investor presentations and everything is very rosy. The industry, it's, everything's growth and that's all good. I'm all for growing the space sector and I very much like seeing that happen. But it can also be helpful, certainly, to read some some differing opinions sometimes just to keep us all a little bit sober, a little bit grounded. He's a good... Thank you. That was pretty cool. Thank you for listening today. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, our mothership at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Greening, CEO and publisher of spacewatch.global, your independent perspective of space. <laughs>